so I big time internalized and developed a very sophisticated level of being able to take myself out of my body to exist in my brain and try to subdue my body Mm. with productivity, with achievement, with repeat success and um, those sorts of things. So as an adult that has trained as a somatic coach that absolutely is constantly at the buffet of embodiment and psychobiology. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. This week on the podcast I speak with Tamu Thomas. She is a trained social worker and somatic coach and she's also the founder of the Live360 brand. Tamu was such a treat to speak with. She is just full of life, full of knowledge, full of energy, just such a wonderful person to connect with. We hadn't spoken before, and so I really, really enjoyed getting to know a bit about her background and a bit about the work that she does. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Tamu. Today on the podcast is the wonderful Tamu Thomas, who is the founder of the Live360 brand. Welcome, Tamu. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Julia. I love to start by just hearing a bit about who you are and how you've kind of got to this point. Yeah, thank you. Well, right now, like as of March last year, I have become somebody that really enjoys the romance of life. Even this morning, part of my getting ready for the day was dancing to music because I thought I haven't flirted with life. <laughs> like, let me just do a bit of, you know, loosen my up. hips. Oh, yeah, I love that. Know that I'm available for yeah. the care and the romance. And I say that because I spent, gosh, 42 years possibly hiding from the fact that I am just like a loving person and in our society we want productive we want Mm. strong we want go-getters and people that are available for the love are often seen as highly sensitive non-committal irresponsible immature Mm. um so I had really constructed a life around avoiding those things I love joy I know that we have these kind of like spiritual or law of attraction type things that will say you know, joy is our nature. I don't mean in that kind of way. Well, what I realised was I really felt at home in the thought of joy, but actually embodying joy felt really unsafe. So I feel like, and I am judging myself whilst I say this, but I feel like at the moment, my life's work for my life is to really get comfortable in the embodiment of joy, which means things Mm. like having a flirt with life on a Tuesday morning and really thinking about well rather than avoiding pain or thinking about what I don't want I'm really asking myself questions about how can I love more what can make me Mm. feel safe to be more of a loving or not even necessarily more of a loving person but allow my love to shine through so a bit of context and background to that I'm a first generation Sierra Leonean both of my parents come from Sierra Leone My mum came here in her adolescence, my dad in his early 20s, and they definitely bought into or it was drilled into them that you come to England for a better life. Mm. 
And that had black people as African people. In the case of my dad, who still has his very strong African accent, West African accent, you have to work really, really hard to prove that you are just about as valuable and lovable as your white peers. Mm. So I had all of that running in the background with parents that were go-getters, that went out and did what they had to do and abandoned their needs so that they could be the person they needed to Mm. be out in the world. And that is not at all my way of being. So Mm. I learned very quickly to internalise and hold that and wear the cloak of striving and being strong and and Mm. really working hard, which means that I feel like, like I don't say this in a really negative way but I realized that I lived half a life so I'm really on project full Mm. life but even within that I've always been a very joyful person I've always Mm. been the person that will see the chink of light in the darkness I've always Mm. been a gatherer since nursery like there are pictures of me holding court and I was a person (laughs) in school that was always getting this group to join with that group. So I love to gather people. I absolutely adore anything to do with people being in communion. Okay. I will add Mm. the truth in that. It's also like the shadow side of that is also a way that I control my environment. Okay. So if I'm bringing the people together, I'm creating the safety. I know I'm going to be okay. It's your space. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, Gosh, there's so much in that already. It just feels, yeah, there's so much. I feel like there's so much pressure on children of immigrants who come Mm -hmm. to whatever different country it is for a better life. And I, yeah, that resonates with me a lot. And how you have to perform said better life and make your life, you know, the best version of of what your parents imagine as a, a good life. And I think for me, it's not even really surprising that you've had to live with that for so long and that you're kind of standing out of that now. I feel mm. like that's a really sort of heavy shadow. And again, from such a loving place, you know, yeah. because yeah. Sierra Leone also has a like a traumatic history, yeah. hugely traumatic history. And I think that that will also have woven things into your, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. your parents' experience. And I'm really appreciative that you've brought that up because... When people think about Sierra Leone's traumatic history, they often think about the war that took place in the 90s to the early 2000s. But even if you think about how the country was constructed, that's traumatic. And then the ethnic group my family come from, the Creole tribe, they are made up of enslaved people that were either on their way to be taken to the new world or Mm. they were enslaved people that were displaced when slavery was abolished. And, you know, the story is told that it was giving people a place to go back to. No, America and Britain didn't want vagrant black people roaming around on the streets. So they created this place for them to go. So there was all of that complexity Mm. and kind of like the cream at the top of that complexity is that returned enslaved people that had lived in the new world had internalized the message that African people were subhuman. Mm. So a lot of them went to Sierra Leone, Freetown, Sierra Leone, with an attitude that they were better than the indigenous people. So that caused a lot of tension between the Creole tribe and the tribes that are native to Sierra Leone. And that tension still exists now. So you might hear some Creole people talk about 
the natives oh wow and things like that so yeah it's other ethnic groups in Sierra Leone talk about Creole people not having a proper identity the plant Mm. that came from the roots of that trauma Mm. is just existing in so many levels throughout the Leonean experience. Oh my gosh. I've never been to Freetown, but my husband did some work there and a really good friend of mine in South Africa also went to work there during um, one of the Ebola crises. And and so, yeah, I feel like I've heard lots of, you know, what it's like and mm-hmm. and the real mix of this amazing, like incredibly vibrant place, but also just very much in process in terms of trauma. Absolutely. Oof. PTSD on Shippers. a national scale. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I wonder what that means also and what, what it meant, like talking about that PTSD for your family and in terms of how you've fed into this embodiment because I feel like PTSD is literally an embodiment of trauma. Yeah. Well, for me, it meant that I learned very, very quickly how to disassociate at the drop of a hat. Mm. So for my parents to, even though they weren't in Sierra Leone at the time of the war, for them to be able to cope with everything they coped with, because, you know, my mum came to England to join her parents, which means that she was apart from her parents for a Mm. long period of time. So everything they did or all of their experiences or the success they achieved meant that they had to disassociate. There's no way you can study, gain higher education, qualifications, enter professions... Enter professions at a time where there weren't the kind of equality and race relation acts that we have right now. Yeah. They had to disassociate very quickly. They had mm. to be able to allow things to slide off and they had to split parts of their character, their innate way of being off to be able to fit into a system that was constantly telling them they weren't good enough. So I big time internalized and developed a very sophisticated level of being able to take myself out of my body to exist in my brain and try to subdue my body with Mm. productivity, with achievement, with repeat success and um, those sorts of things. So as an adult that has trained as a somatic coach, that absolutely is constantly at the buffet of embodiment and psychobiology, whatever it wants to be called these days, I can see that the way I am now, which I think is my natural way of being, at first, not so much my dad, but it triggered my mum to smithereens. Mm. And that wasn't me saying, well, I think you should be doing this or I think you should be doing that. But the sense of agency you have when you're able to be present with your felt sense and know that that sensation means something. And when you understand that your story follows your state, conducting yourself in a way whereby you're constantly, not in a really controlling way, but I know what makes me feel safe. Mm. If I don't feel safe, I'm not doing it. So it was difficult for her hearing my no without a whole load of excuses. Mm -hmm. It was difficult for her seeing that I wasn't engaging with family members in particular ways because I just don't have the space for that anymore. Mm -hmm. However, what I've also seen, partly because I trained in it, 
partly because as a social worker, I'm always like, well, where's the evidence? I want the evidence base for this, not because I believe that things can't exist without evidence, but it makes it easier for me to understand and work with if I have the evidence. So seeing that academic bit kind of like cracked open her door. Mm. So she is now a woman who invests in yoga because she wants to know what she feels like coaching because she realizes that it doesn't matter how close she is to what we perceive to be the end of our lives. She wants to actually cultivate a life that feels good to her. But yeah, so it's been very, very interesting watching her evolution as Mm. I have veered away from what I was brought up with and had more success in doing so. Yeah, I feel quite quite emotional hearing that just because it is this legacy again that's legacies that are passed on and I think actually your story is rare in the sense that often that there isn't that change particularly for older generations and so yeah that's I mean a really powerful a powerful part of your story and giving that to your mum because I think there is something particularly triggering for parents who like you say have had to dissociate and live in a particular way Mm -hmm. to see the, the kind of expansiveness of their children and sometimes that can be yeah really disconnecting in terms of relationship and so yeah that's like an incredible piece mm-hmm. i channeled you this morning because i i also had some movement time and i thought mm, i'm just going to be much more free and much more uh, yeah playful about it this morning and i thought oh tammy this is actually bliss and yeah i'm coming out of a very sort of cerebral part of my life i feel like mm-hmm. and being very like you say very sort of academic based and one thing to the next and this kind of track that people put you on or and you sort of accept and that's part of why I'm so drawn to you and this idea of embodying things that happen in our minds because that feels like one piece of our lives Mm -hmm. and that we're shutting off so much experience and I think that yeah psychology and potentially social work as well as is very stuck in that sort of cerebral realm and I find that yeah I find that really sort of problematic in the way that we are helping people and and of course you know things are moving but it takes a while for those paradigms to shift and so could you tell us a little bit about what somatic coaching actually is and a bit about the work that you do somatic coaching um comes from it's, it's like one of the offshoots of um, the world of somatic experiencing and somatics and all of that kind of stuff. And somatic coaching, unlike traditional coaching, which is very traditionally psychology-based, and, you know, psychology is white European middle-class men coming from that place of, I guess, privilege and lack of worldliness. Somatic coaching, soma, is the ancient Greek word for the body, but it's like the vibrant living body, not a corpse, not like a body, but like the vibrant living body. Okay. So somatic coaching works with the whole body system. Of course, the brain, the mind is part of the body. Yeah. So rather than focusing just on talking, there are a number of practices that come from very scientific backgrounds. So like behavioral neurology or whatever it is, Eastern philosophy, different movement practices, lots of different psychological principles fused into one. So like one of my favorites, Eugene Genlin, focusing, he comes from a psychotherapeutic background. And what he noticed was people that had the most um, profound, long-lasting 
transformation from therapeutic relationships tended to be people that were really scrabbling around to Mm. find language to articulate their experience because our emotional vocabulary is really small and we often mislabel, let's say, Mm. experiences we're having because we're so limited. Whereas those people that were struggling to grasp, he noticed that they were actually trying to describe a felt sense and maybe felt quite self-conscious, you know, in a clean linear world you want to be able to say well I feel anxious but the reality of being a human being is it might be well I get this really fizzy sensation inside and at Mm. the same time I have a real pulling down feeling in what I assume is my gut Mm. so what Eugene Gendlin does or did he's no longer with us he developed the art of focusing where you would start to focus and track those sensations And keep those sensations present and see what emerges through those sensations. So somebody who's telling me that they are stuck in a cycle where they create these really beautiful products or services for people and they've got the qualifications, they've got the training, they've got all of that. But when it actually comes to putting themselves out there and to selling their wares, they get Mm. really stuck. So they don't do a very good job of it. They don't get the number of people they wanted and need. Therefore, their income is suffering. Well, actually, when you spend time to tracking those sensations, there was a lady that I worked with a while back. And when we kept the sensations company, she went back to an experience where she had created something. Her parents were going out. I'm trying to speak quite loosely. Her parents were going out and therefore not paying attention to what she was doing. Mm. She wanted to show it to them before they went out. And the parent, not knowing what it was, tapped it and spoiled it. Mm. And she was like, I didn't realise how much I was playing that story, that somebody's going to come and destroy something that I've created so beautifully. So she internalized that action and continued to perpetuate it in her adulthood. She could see where she did that in friendships and all sorts of things. I don't think we would have got there cognitively because she would have been talking about limiting beliefs, being stuck, telling a disempowering story. Whereas that gave her something really concrete to work with. And it also led her to consider whether or not there was a conversation she needed to have because that incident was symbolism for the relationship. So it's actually bringing the body online because that's where we store stuff. That wasn't mm. in her conscious mind. Mm. Our unconscious lives in our body. That, that's where it was. So it's the art so of bringing the whole body online okay. and being able to give that language so that you can start to understand yourself. Because when you understand something like that, you're not going to be beating yourself up with, I just don't get it, it never works for me, I've got all these limiting beliefs. You can actually start to nourish that, tend to that, show it compassion. So you know now, this is a real embodied experience for you. So when you're doing this thing, how are you going to look after yourself so that you expand your emotional capacity so that you can hold space for that thing, knowing it's there whilst you still continue to do what it is you want to do? So somatic coaching 
although, you know, I'm very, very careful and I'm very, very clear about not delving into the world of therapy. I'm not qualified to do it. That's not what I do. It can be a really beautiful way of imprinting a new pattern on the unconscious that then mm. filters up to the mind and the actions. Because, you know, fundamentally, coaching is all about the action you're going to take. Yeah. And I really want people to start to take actions that enable them to befriend themselves and mm. create the relationship they want with themselves rather than subdue themselves and work from the premise that they're not good enough. Therefore, they need to subdue those mm. innate qualities that actually we call shadows. But when you just put a torch on in that shadow, there are so many gems in there that will really mm. nourish and nurture your growth, expansion, whatever you want to call it. Gosh, I feel like clapping. <laughs> it's so exciting <laughs> hearing stuff like that. It's so exciting to hear things like that because I feel like, I mean, you're talking about going to the moment of the, the embodied memory. I So I do a similar thing and I find so often that people will come to something, some memory. So when their rational mind kicks in, they say, oh, but that's not a big deal or that wasn't a big thing. Or and on a positive note. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it shouldn't be or it shouldn't exist or that, you know, it shouldn't mean so much, but it does. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that your kind of entry point for that. It's just, yeah, sidestepping the Absolutely. cerebral part, you know, yeah. that really interferes yeah. and around the language we're using. Because I'm finding more and more, even though essentially what you're saying is there's a mindfulness to that. So being... Um, in tune with what's happening in the here and now but I'm trying so hard not to even use that word anymore because it feels like it again positions people in a cerebral place yeah. where they have all their sort of associations and actually yeah. then we've lost the connection with what's happening in the body and yeah I wonder how you sidestep that as well like when people are in coaching with you and it mm -hmm. feels really, really similar to the like the sort of work we do and how do you do that when you feel like someone's connecting or getting very stuck in their body, are there ways that you can assist them first to be aware of that and second to kind of step out of that? Yeah, absolutely. So at the very beginning, we um, set the container by how we contract with each other. I call it forming an alliance where I ask the people I'm working with to share words that describe how they need to be in the coaching space, how they need the space to be, Mm. and how they need me to be. So we've okay. always got something to refer back to. Because quite often, like Julie, I'm sure you know, mm. people don't realise that they're getting trapped in a loop. Mm. And they're trying to like, really scrabble and strategize a way out. And you cannot strategize your way out of that sludge. Yeah. So what I will do is this often works quite well with the type of people that come to work with me mm -hmm. is invite them to be the wiser elder and tell that whatever is going on, that they're going to sit with it, keep it company for a little while mm -hmm. uh, or ask it if it's okay for them to sit with it and keep it company for a little while. And if it's okay to keep it company and if they feel strong enough to do so, I will ask them to share some nourishing words, share some compassionate words with okay. whatever it is. And if the it is too strong, mm. well, what about the too strong? Can you keep company with the too strong and give that reassurance that you're here for it and it needs to take some time out? You will absolutely come back to it. It might not be today because it might not be safe to come back to it yeah. today. Yeah. And then afterwards... 
you know, I'm a social worker, I'm an analyzer, I'm an assessor, I'm a referrer. I will have a conversation with them about whether or not it is necessary for there to be a referral elsewhere, for them Mm -hmm. to be able to do the real explorative work that therapy is, because what we're doing is looking at things and seeing how we can take action from that thing. Okay. If somebody is really, really stuck, I will do a body scan or I will invite them to focus on another area of their body and then return back to that area of the body because transferring your attention from one place to the other can offer that a little bit of relief so that you can safely close it and say, I'll be back. Mm. And whether that is back in a therapeutic setting or we'll go back into it in another coaching session. And Julia, bearing in mind what we were talking about at the remote beginning, Mm. I've got a Spotify playlist at hand because it may be if they feel able to, we need to get up and dance. We uh, need to shift that energy around move. because it's stagnant. And that's one of the reasons that I trained in nonlinear movement. Okay. Because nonlinear movement is such a beautiful somatic practice that is really, really wonderful for grounding so that mm. you feel safely connected and moving stagnant energy and allowing our body's natural intelligence to start to release the stuff we don't need any more of and mm. be in a beaten embodied <laughs> space where okay. we're able to call in that which we want. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I love that you're open to that, that you'll do that in the session and not just instruct to do after. Because yeah. I think like neurobiology, like, you know, what's happening, I guess, in the background is that you're also ridding the body of that after that huge cortisol spike. And that's so, so important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tamu, it's so wonderful. And it, it's, so, <laughs> it's so exciting to hear about people working, you know, in this way and in a way that feels also so deeply respectful. We are not just minds. You're not bringing just your mind to therapy or to coaching. You're a whole self and yeah, there's so much going on there. Yeah. I don't really know about non-linear movement. Is that just as it says on the tin. Yes, as it says on the tin. So Michaela Boehm, who is the person that created nonlinear movement, she comes from a psychotherapeutic background. A lot of her work was working with people in addiction recovery. She's done a lot of work around relationships. Like one of her, you know, things that she's known for, she's Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith's relationship counsellor type of person. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So she developed this modality when she was working in addiction recovery and continued to build and expand on it. So you spend a lot of your time on all fours for uh, three of the modalities and one of them you're on your back and you're literally really planting yourself on the ground and moving what you're feeling. There are some like guidance you provide whilst doing it so that people don't get stuck in patterns but it's an invitation to allow your body to lead. So Mm. over a period of time, like, please believe when I first started, it was triggering as heck. A, because my, I'm clever, my brain likes to take control. Mm. B, I'm used to exercise and things like yoga, where if you do three things on one side, it means you've got to do three things on the other. (laughs) Yes, I think I would get a bit twitchy about that too. (laughs) Where this isn't like that at all. Okay. But what happens over a period of time I'm quite a sensations, visual type of person. Mm. I could literally feel my brain softening into my body and recognizing that it is part of this soma. It's Mm. not something that's floating above or that uses this vessel as a taxi. So then it started to feel like there was an integration. For me, it feels like 
gut, heart and mind Mm -hmm. are able to work together more often with me doing that practice because now my brain trusts that my body can do stuff without it telling it what to do all the time and my body doesn't see my brain as some harsh taskmaster so it's like oh you're we're all one in the same we're part of the yeah the same organism it feels like imagine all the wasted energy also that we when we have these systems kind of fighting against each other and trying to control again such a cerebral concept around which is in charge and which is first and I even find this new sort of language around I mean they're discovering that actually the gut talks to the brain more than the other way around and even when we talk about that I feel like oh please don't go down the same path of saying now the gut is in control (laughs) the gut is the boss and I feel like oh no we so biotic ecosystem yeah we're so limiting in the way that we yeah put language on things and it is and I know it has to happen because we communicate in that way but it is sometimes hard to watch I feel like you've got it and then you don't have it and then you've yeah, got it and then you have to like, move between yes don't you think that speaks to this toxic productivity culture where we're so high on cortisol and adrenaline like we are really addicted to intensity Yes. That anything that even has the opportunity to ameliorate that addiction because we're so in that pattern of I need my next hit mm. even something really beautiful and expansive we have to put this real like capitalist patriarchal white supremacist spin on it to keep us dangled because now there's mm. something else that we could be sold probiotics prebiotics all of the rest of it and it's just like I will buy it if you're telling me that actually my gut talks to my brain more that feels enjoyable for me let's not ruin it with like now the gut is there's like yeah it's all about body up oh yes too much top down it's bottom up no it's top down bottom up left to right side to side it's 360 degrees baby oh wow (laughs) it's um so on brand um But yes, I feel like we are so uncomfortable. I guess our bodies are always searching for that as that homeostasis. Yes. But homeostasis is still as a concept in motion yeah. and that we are Money. always wishing for the solid state. And it actually, yeah, it just robs us of so much. Mm. And that also that kids do a lot of this stuff so intuitively. Like I'm thinking about non-linear movement and, and thinking about the way that kids will describe emotion which is something else I find quite difficult is that in psychology, we talk a lot about labeling emotion, you know, with kids and we saying, they say, I've got a sore tummy and we say, that's called worried or, you know, that's called that. And I feel like it, it, it makes me uncomfortable and I've often not been sure of why. And I think it is that it's that diminishing through language that, yes. well, actually they're telling you they have kind of a fizzy tummy and That's leave it at that. Have you got a tummy yeah. wobble? Yeah, my tummy's wobbly today. Yeah. And and we talk about that as saying, oh, that you know, probably means it's this or probably means it's that. And it's so diminishing. You feel like, well, no, that's their experience. It doesn't mean they're anxious. It means, you know, it could be excitement because yeah. we know the body reads it in the same way. And so inhumane yes it does it feels so disrespectful as well to say like no you're wrong from the time you're very little that it's not that you're feeling something else and so no wonder we wake up in our 40s and have to like relearn this you know creates a huge culture 
of mistrust that comes mm. from the leaders of the nations we live in right through to our internal relationship. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The power dynamic and all of that that happens with kids is, yeah, I'm really mindful of that at the moment. Mm. Oh, Tammy, thank you for your time and yeah, your wonderful energy and wonderful knowledge and you are yeah such an embodiment of all that you say and I so wish this was in some ways just a recorded <laughs> video so that people can actually see you <laughs> because it also feels like half the picture and let's also note that I've got a hot water bottle <laughs> nursing my <laughs> shoulder right now <laughs> it's the coolest hot water bottle I've ever seen I just want to say to people listening it's like um, an aeroplane it's a sickle shape yeah. oh wow that's to so clever I've never seen one of those before. It is the best. But thank you so much for having me. You're like a cloud. <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a soft and expansive space. Thank oh, you. Oh, thank you. What a lovely thing to say. Thanks, Tammy. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Tammy. If you'd like to get in touch with her, you can find her on Instagram at live360 or on her website www.live360.com and you can also listen to her on her own podcast which is called 360 Conversations. I hope you have a wonderful week and I'll see you again next week. Bye!